0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the Main Street Vegan Show. I know every week I say that I'm excited that you're here and I'm excited about my guests. This time I need a word that's bigger than excited. Somebody with a thesaurus, call in and tell me a bigger word. Because this week I'm coming to you live from London. So not only am I flanked by two of the most remarkable people in the vegan movement today, But I'm also in my very favorite city. I moved to London right out of high school. I was 18 years old. And today I spent the day in my old neighborhood. Now, have things changed? Well, of course, that was, oh my gosh, I'm not even going to tell you how long ago it was. I'm just going to tell you that I rented a one-room apartment for 13 pounds a week, and now the house next door to the one-room apartment is on sale for 40 million pounds. So things have changed, and yet the bones are here. There is just something about being in this place that is really magical for me and also very special for the vegan movement because veganism was created right here in London in 1944. The Vegan Society is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year, and they are going to be a presence at the fabulous and amazing VegFest UK coming up this Saturday and Sunday. Both my guests are part of that. I'm going to be part of that. And you can be part of this this show, whether you're around for VegFest UK or not, and you can actually call in from wherever you might be on this planet And as we've been doing for the past several weeks, if you are calling in the live show, now this means Wednesday, September 24th, and if you're in the U.S., this is going to be 3 to 3.55 p.m. East Coast time. So if that's the time you're listening and you want to call and join the conversation, ask a question of one of our fabulous guests. The toll-free number is 888-558-6489. The other number, if you're calling from Canada or somewhere else, is 816-347-1599. The first caller will win a membership in the American Vegan Society and a subscription to American Vegan Magazine. So those numbers, again, are 888-558-6489. Or 816-347-1599. Now that you have the numbers, oops, I said something wrong. Oops. Okay, the 816 number, I didn't give it to you properly. I'm going to give it to you later because Jeff is trying to show it to me. There it is, 5519. Okay, my bad. 816-347-5519. Okay, just got my ones and my fives a little bit confused there. So now you actually do have the numbers, and now I'm going to introduce the people with whom you can speak if you choose to call in. And this is pretty exciting because these are people who don't get around the U.S. very much, although my first guest has spent a great deal of time there and is, in fact, going to be coming uh, to the States at the end of October. He can tell us about that. And he is Mr. Kim Stallwood. The Grumpy Vegan. There are lots of grumpy vegans, but he actually admits to it. He is an independent scholar and author on animal rights. His book Growl, Life Lessons, Hard Truths and Bold Strategies from an Animal Advocate was published this year by Lantern Books. Since 1974, he's demonstrated personal commitment and professional experience in leadership positions with some of the world's foremost animal advocacy organizations.
3: And guess what? He went vegetarian in
2: 1974 after working in a chicken slaughterhouse. Well, we think you've made up for that, Mr. Kim Stallwood. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you for having me. Oh, no,
2: thank you. And also joining the conversation, we're so, so fortunate to have someone who, to me, is really a phenomenon, both in her physical um athletic achievements, but also in her heart and soul and what she does for the animals. And this is Fiona Oaks. Fiona is a triple world record holder in the marathon. She is the fastest woman to complete a marathon on every continent plus the North Pole. Now, every continent, that means Antarctica, too, plus the North Pole. I know. I know. I'm impressed, too. She's been running for 14 years. Previously, she was a cyclist. But she says she actually doesn't much like to run. She does it for the animals. Are you relating? There's some things that you don't much like to do, but you do them for the animals. Well, Fiona has an animal sanctuary, 400 rescued farmed animals and horses, Find their home today, thanks to Fiona and supporters like you, at Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary in Essex, just outside London. And that sanctuary has been around, saving animals for 17 years. Welcome, Fiona. Hello. Oh, thank you both so, so very much for being here. So let me jump right in. Let me just ask you first, Fiona, why animals? There are so many needs in the world.
4: What caused you to choose animals? It's always been animals for me. It's been animals since I went vegetarian at three years old and I went vegan at six years old. It's never been anything but animals for me. It's animals and people too. Obviously, later on in life, you become more aware of things that you aren't so much aware of when you're younger. But I was always drawn towards helping animals, loving animals, and it's just something that's been in me since before I can actually remember. So it's just an innocent desire, I think, to make the world a better place for those who very often are abused.
2: Now, we hear this, this so much nowadays about children who who just announce to their parents, I'm going to be vegetarian, I'm going to be vegan. Now, Kim, you've talked about certain... Precipitators in childhood that can cause someone to care about animals. What are those?
3: Well, for me, I, I, I wish I could make the same claim as Fiona because I think that's truly that remarkable that uh, she had that inner, innate sense of commitment to animals. But that wasn't for me. Um, I was born and raised in a uh, regular home that uh, we had a cat, and we were encouraged to like animals, but that was as far as it went, and. It took um, me seeing as a young boy a woman who had something like 30 rescued dogs um, and she would wheel a a wooden cart of them around the town where I was born and raised. And I remember watching her thinking, who is she? Why is she doing what she's doing? And I can look back now and see that that was a seed of compassion that was placed in inside me. But it took some years later before it came out.
2: Wow, that's amazing. So. Fiona, when you announced to your family that you were going to be vegetarian, what kind of response did you get?
4: Well, my mum is Morocco. my rock. My mum is actually downstairs at the moment waiting for me. She's come up here with me. She travels with me. So she was supportive but didn't really understand. My dad, my dad, The rest of my family are completely negative towards it. And they, to be honest with you, some of them still are. Um, she wanted to support me. She wanted to try and understand. I think it was very much easier for her to understand that I didn't want to eat the flesh of animals rather than at sixteen, I want to be vegan. Where do eggs come from? Where does milk come from? Why does the cow let you have its milk? And she was confused as to how to answer these questions because... It would be. She didn't want to lie to me. She figured that would be almost like child abuse to lie to me. Um, so she told me the truth and let me make my own decisions. Um, it was difficult for her, and she did have the accusations that I wouldn't grow properly, and it, she was abusing me, and it was just a phase, and she should do everything to discourage me. But she didn't. I mean, obviously, she's my mum. She knew me, and, and I was very, very headstrong. Even as a small child, I was very, very headstrong, and she knew that, obviously, if it was something I declared with no apparent, influence um it was something that was obviously coming from within me and should be respected well that's exciting now i raised my daughter vegan
2: from birth so she got it for me but you know i always said things like you know when you're a teenager if you want to experiment and she looked at me one day and she said why would i want to eat someone who's dead mm. and i thought yay mm. i i did it right and she is to this day age 30 uh, i probably shouldn't have told that to everybody on the radio but uh, very much still vegan. So your mother also uh, went vegetarian along with you, didn't she, Kim?
3: She did. Uh, eventually, uh, what happened is that I, w- I worked in the chicken slaughterhouse when I was a student and I didn't work on the slaughter part of the production line but in the post-slaughter piece and, because long story short, I was decided to go vegetarian. I was living at home at the time and I always knew that my mum who truly loved animals, that she should also be a vegetarian. Um, but we fought and rowed about it, and eventually we had to call a truce and uh, not discuss it. But some months later, I began to challenge her again about being a vegetarian, and she turned to me and said, when was the last time you saw me eat? And she had become a vegetarian, but I had never noticed.
2: Ah, uh, <coughs> mothers, <clears throat> we're just the best. <laughs> Oh, this is exciting. So tell us uh, about the animal rights movement in the U.K. I think most of of the listeners are going to be American. So, Kim, why don't you start a little bit on the theoretical side, and then I'll ask you, Fiona, about actually having the the, um, Tower Hill Stables um, Animal Sanctuary. So, Kim, I know you've worked in animal rights in, in both countries, and you know some of the differences. So what do you see that's different?
3: Well, there are many similarities and differences between the animal rights movement in Britain and America. One of the differences between Britain and America is that uh, in America there is the legal system and the issue of animal law is far more advanced in America uh, than it is in, in the UK. In the UK, we do, we do obviously have laws and we have prosecutions, but the issue of animal law is still in its early formative stages. And that's a major difference. Um, One difference I'd mark between Britain and America is that, generally speaking, in Britain, the political parties are aware of animal welfare, and to a certain extent, they give it some attention. Um, There's still a lot of work to do in that area. But there is a bit more progress in Britain at the national level than there is in the U.S. In the U.S., politically, it's a bit more organized at the state level and not yet at the federal level.
2: So, Fiona, how many animal sanctuaries that you know of are in the UK?
4: There are quite a lot of smaller sanctuaries. Obviously, we've got the really big ones like Hillside. Um, There are lots and lots of small sanctuaries, people trying to do their bit for animals. Um, You know, quite a few around me, actually, in in Essex, but there are never enough for the amount of abuse. Um, In the UK, people tend to pay more attention to dogs and cats, possibly horses than they do the farmed animals. What I always find very, very strange with people in this country is that the way they are very, very supportive of, say, domesticated animals, or what we see as domesticated animals, the nation of animal lovers, but they don't transfer that logic to a pig or a cow. I don't know quite, I can't actually fathom out what people are actually seeing. that A dog or a cat deserves such pampering, but a cow or a pig or a sheep, which is just essentially being just the same, they are quite happy to eat, and that is a very very strange concept to me that I've never actually managed to fathom out. And sometimes when I'm on some of these long runs, like when I was in the desert for a week doing this, the um, marathon sub, you try to think of these things and put, you know, have time away from the sanctuary fr- from the actual animals to kind of get into other people's heads and what they might think in. And I actually can't do that. I just cannot understand it. Um, it's very difficult for me because, to me, all animals are equal. We're, you know, They all deserve the same rights, but they obviously don't receive them. Um, the, the general public generally don't apply the same standards to the different species of animals. I, I can't understand it. It's strange to me.
2: Well, I think that's always been a conundrum for people who care. I don't know if you know the work of of Melanie Joy Mm, in the States, and she's come up with that carnism idea that Mm. we're basically programmed that certain animals are to eat and certain animals are to be friends with. And I suppose in certain cultures and certainly in in eras before this, children were brought up, certain people are to be your friends and Mm -hmm. certain people are to be feared. So it's people like you who are making the evolution move forward so that we will grow past carnism and into something else. So, Kim, let me ask you about your book. I love it that you call it Growl, and you have a wonderful endorsement from Carol J. Adams, one of my favorite people. And and she says something like, some people purr and others growl. (laughs) (laughs) So why did you write Growl and what makes it different?
3: I wrote Growl uh, because I wanted to read the book I wished I could have read when I first became a vegan and got involved with animal rights. And I thought I owed it to others to try and write a book in which I look back on my life and thought about the mistakes I'd made and the lessons I learned. And so the book has two parallel tracks to it. The first is is a memoir of my involvement in Britain and America, and also how I began to discover animal issues by working in the chicken slaughterhouse. But that runs with a separate track, which is about uh, exploring four key values in animal rights that I now see, and I wished I had seen much earlier on. And those four key values are compassion, truth, nonviolence, and justice. And for me, they are the cornerstone of what it means to care about animals, is compassion for them. Compassion, because it motivates us to act for them. We can intuitively feel the suffering that they experience. Um, Truth, because we want to reveal what's hidden from everyone, uh, what we can now see, we want everyone else to now see in the way in which animals are exploited. Non-violence, because we want to end the violence toward animals and people. And then lastly, justice. It's a matter of justice that sentient beings, regardless of species, should be treated with, with respect.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. That, that should be shouted from housetops and uh, sung from legislative bodies, <laughs> and perhaps we'll see that one day. So let me just get everybody's website before we go to break. Um, Fiona, where can people read more about you and your work? Uh, www.towerhillstables.com
4: Tower Hill Stables. That's such a beautiful, beautiful name for a sanctuary. Or they can just look for Fiona Oaks. If they're interested in the running side of what I've done, just Fiona Oaks on the internet or Google my name and they'll find it.
2: You're all over everywhere, and they've done a couple, I think at least two wonderful articles about you in Vegan Health and Fitness magazine, Mm -hmm. which is is one of my favourite magazines, lovely photographs as well. What's your website, Kim?
3: www.kimstoolwood.com
2: So, the grumpy vegan, is that your Twitter? Uh,
3: Yes, my Twitter handle is uh, grumpy vegan.
2: Grumpy vegan. That's sweet. I know uh, Colleen Patrick Goudreau is the joyful vegan, (laughs) so we need someone at. At every sector. So stay with us and uh, jot down those numbers. If you want to call in, get your free subscription to American Vegan Magazine, you can call us at 888-558-6489 or the newly corrected 816-347-5519. We'll be back. I happen to know that some people listen to this show as a podcast. In fact, lots and lots of people listen to this show as a podcast. And sometimes you kind of scroll through that little bit in the middle. But part of what the little bit in the middle says is that Unity Online Radio, that is just so wonderful and generous and open-minded and fabulous in hosting the Main Street Vegan Show, is operated by donations. So if you... Feel within your heart that you might want to send a little bit of your prosperity to this wonderful show and the many wonderful shows on Unity Online Radio. Just check them out online and, uh, you know, what goes around comes around. And I am around two incredible people. Kim Stallwood, the author of Growl, Life Lessons, Hard Truths and Bold Strategies from an Animal Advocate. And... Fiona Oaks, whose Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary is her baby with 400, Mm. (laughs) not really babies, 400 wonderful, intelligent animals uh, with lives of their own. And she's also a triple world record holder in the marathon. And just the fact, Fiona, that you were willing to run in the North Pole when I have a hard time waiting for a bus in the winter puts me to shame. Mm. So you said during the break that you're really running through frustration about what
4: goes on with animals. What's your thought process? Simple thought process is that when we moved to the sanctuary, um, I very quickly realized that it was great for the 400 animals or however many animals I had at the time that I could care for those and provide a secure future, love, dignity, peace, tranquility, everything they need, but I'm still, still very frustrated about the ones that are out there, the millions are out there, that I cannot physically touch their lives. I cannot physically make their lives any better. And the only way I figured I could do this was probably by by getting out there and being active in some way. Um, it's very difficult for me. I'm obviously very tied to the sanctuary. I get up at 3.30 every morning. I've got lots and lots of animals to care for. So I thought about the one thing that I did to have some predisposition to being sort of half-decent at is sport. So um, I, f- I don't have t- didn't have time or money for cycling anymore. So I figured I started to jog. And um, then I after the jogging, I became a runner, if you like, entered a few races and won them and decided that this is positively something that I could probably do to help animals um, by getting out there and showing that a vegan person, you know, isn't going to be weak. It, it just has to spend all day on the sofa because we haven't got the energy to get off it. You know, you can actually go out there and... And run. And I figured, well, what event is considered to be tough? Ah, marathons are considered to be tough. I'll run marathons. I don't enjoy running. I don't consider myself particularly good at running. And I certainly don't have any talent for it because I've got a knee replacement and no kneecap uh, through an injury when I was younger. And I probably shouldn't be running. Um, but it's something that I can do. Um, and I do it for the animals. That's why we started the club Vegan Runners. Basically, in principle, when I can get on an elite start line like the London Marathon, so I'm up there with the top women in the world to um, have a a sandwich board on my back and front saying vegan. And the the crowd see the word vegan, they associate the vegan with being at the front of the race. What better publicity can you get that's free to show people, you know, if you too want to be in this position, if you want to be running, winning a race, if you want to be the fastest woman at the North Pole, then consider how I'm doing it, um, I've told you of that I'm not built for Marathon running. I'm too big for Marathon running probably. I've got this disability. But the one thing that I have got is I've got my passionate belief on my vegan diet and lifestyle, and it's actually carried me through. I think I'm probably the only elite athlete I'm aware of that's actually built all my body mass on, on, on plant protein, and I continue the sustainability the longevity of my career, everything points to the vegan diet, and that's what I hope people pick up on.
1: Wow.
2: You want to say wow too?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, triple wow, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that um, Fiona, well, all three of us share our concern for animals, but I, I couldn't be more the polar opposite to Fiona than, than would be possible because I won't run for a bus, let alone run a marathon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm truly in admiration of what you've accomplished. Um, I find that when we do the work we do for animals, that it is important to find something outside of animal work to take refuge in and learn from and somehow or another bring it back into the work that we do for animals. And for me, it's an obsession with, with Virginia Woolf and reading Virginia Woolf. As bizarre as that sounds, that's, that's, that's my equivalent mm. to, to Fiona and her running. Um, I think she was a wonderful writer and, and lived a fascinating life. Um, vegans come from all places. Um, we share a common concern of wanting to, to act our lives to our animals and for people and for the environment. But we're all very different people. Mm. Um, we may have one thing that unites us. We're all very different In my hometown in England, we have a vegan dining club and we often joke that if we lined ourselves up against a wall and asked someone who didn't know us to point out the one vegan amongst us, they wouldn't know which one to pick because we're all different shapes and sizes and heights and appearances. Truth be told, that we're all vegan and... uh, Probably, um, increasingly, people know a vegan, and they may not know that they know they're a vegan. And
4: this is such an important thing. This is the main thing, because the vast majority of people believe that if they're going to look at a vegan, it's going to be somebody who's pale... Who looks ill, who's very weak looking, and that isn't the case. And that's simply the one of the main stereotypes you've got to break down to show that, you know, we're all here. We don't come from a different planet. We aren't all green you know, and got six heads or so, whatever they're expecting a vegan to look like. They It's just what we eat and what we believe. It's not everything about us. It's just a part of us but we are all very different people and that's what i think people the general public need to realize because i've had so many people say oh i wouldn't have thought you were a vegan and it was what what do you think what what do you think i am then you know what would you think a vegan would look like i mean what what is this you know do you think we've got like an eye in the middle of a head what is it that you think about vegans and that is what the media put out will be thought about vegans and very very often unfortunately it is negative and people uh, believe truly that they're going to be ill or they're going to be it's going to make them sick or something and it's just ridiculous it's a ridiculous myth that Kim and his dining club are doing great things probably more than me with my running to break down you know that we are all different shapes and sizes and different, different beliefs and different hobbies we're just people at the end of the day very compassionate people I love it that we're so different because
2: that means that the door is open for anyone who wants to join us. I know in the states there's this idea that we're we're all very liberal politically. And I think most vegans probably do tend liberal mm. politically. But even if we got all the liberals, we'd only have half the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think one reason I call my book Main Street Vegan is I want to invite in everybody. And whatever our differences in opinions on anything, that's fine. Mm-hmm. We're still making the world more compassionate. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Kim, you've been at this longer than, than uh, either of us as a vegan since 1976. Is it easier nowadays?
3: Generally speaking, it is easier. Um, It's certainly easier when you come into cities like London. Mm -hmm. The the availability, the choices, the the restaurants, there's a a larger number. It's still a bit of a challenge, I find, when you go outside into the countryside. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually I end up in a pub and I'll have chips and a a salad or french fries and a salad. And I quite like that anyways, so I, I... I might grumble about it, but I'm really usually quite happy using it. It has improved. Um, certainly, the availability of soy milks in coffee shops is a lot better. People actually know, I think, what, what is meant by vegan when you say it. There's still a lot to do, though. And the show that's coming up this weekend, the Veg Fest in London, Olympia, that has significantly grown over the years. And I'm really encouraged by that because that's a barometer to make. Measure, the interest, the uh, burgeoning field of small businesses that are starting up, um, vegan bakeries, um, vegan breweries. Um, all of that, I think, is very exciting and is an, is an indication of a very healthy micro-industry that, that's, that's taking off.
2: Now I see that a lot in the States. There's a lot of entrepreneurialism uh, around veganism. So, Fiona... Your sense is
4: that the press is not crazy about vegans. I've found it. so. I mean, I've I've had debates on this before. I mean, I've been on, like, national media and told not to mention the word. You can't mention it. We don't want it on here. Um, When I broke the um, world record for the fastest woman at the North Pole, I was immediately whisked up to um, Salford, um, the BBC, and um, they wanted me on breakfast to open and close the show and that they didn't want me to talk about the veganism. In fact, it was just a taboo subject. And the only way I could mention it was when they said, well, why did you run a marathon at the North Pole? Um, I said, well, I'm an honorary patron of the Vegan Society. It's their 70th of the year. <laughs> and that's why I did it, to celebrate that. And it was never picked up on again. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, to me, I I don't run because I like running. I enjoy it. I don't want to particularly spend the money it costs to run. I run to promote veganism. That is why I ran the marathon at the North Pole, because I wanted to go out there, if you want the truth, and I wanted to win it, and I wanted to show that as a vegan woman, I could do it for the animals. And I'll be honest with you, at 3 o'clock in the morning, when I was running around the North Pole whittling that I'd got frostbite my big toe, I looked up and I thought, what am I doing here? And then I thought, get a grip, girl. You're here for the animals. Get on with the job you've come to do. And um, I did, and that's why I do it. I mean, you know, I ran Marathon de Sable um, a few weeks ago um, in the desert, and um, that is not an easy race to run. Every day, it's a marathon every day, carrying all your own supplies in temperatures of 50 degree plus with a huge great backpack on your back of 11, you know, kilos through sand dunes that are one was 800 feet high i'm doing it for the animals every time i splattered vegan wherever i can put it on my kit i'm only doing it for, for them i'm not certainly not doing it for me or for my benefit at all um i'm doing it for them um and yeah i have found a lot of negativity so my idea and the whole ethic behind the running was go out there and get to be as good as you can and um Stick that to the press and say, you know, well, you can't avoid the fact that this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, But yeah, I mean, I have been greeted with um, a considerable amount of negativity. And if you do look at articles that, you know, fairly big articles by major press and media, you won't, they'll, you'll find that they've, yeah, they've mentioned that I've got three world records and, yeah, they'll mention that I'm a 238 marathon runner, I've got a sanctuary, but they won't mention what is one of the most fundamentally important parts of it all to me, is that I am vegan and that I am doing it to help those animals that are physically, like I said, I cannot help. I'm trying to encourage people to at least be aware that I'm certainly not weak and I'm meeting these challenges head on as a lifelong vegan woman, practical. Um, but, yeah, it is it, it is very difficult. And the press, some, it's not all, but some can be quite, you know, they don't want to know.
2: <laughs> well, there's certainly a lot of amazing <clears throat> vegan athletes. There are going to mm. be several at, at the festival this weekend. Mm. Uh, Patrick Babumian, mm. strongest man on earth at mm. this moment. That's mm. very cool. Mm. Vegan from Berlin. Um, uh, Brendan Brazier, mm. um, retired professional iron man mm. and who's the lovely woman the power lifter i'm blanking on her name mm. cancer survivor power lifter uh, pat m- reed yes Pat yeah. reed. and she's in her 60s yeah. is that correct yeah i mean yeah. amazing yeah. things that that we're all doing in, in all of our ways now somebody else is amazing are these various animals mm. i know that you you have pegasus dream and fluffy frosty frosty i'm frosty. sorry Fluffy. Okay, okay. <laughs> from 17 years ago, that's yeah. wonderful. Horses yeah. live long, when yeah. well cared for. But tell
4: us about Amelie. Uh, Amelie the pig, um, She basically Amelie's story is she escaped from a slaughterhouse and went on the run. And she fortunately ran into a lady's garden who didn't want to see her go back to the slaughterhouse. So she desperately rang around any organization she could think of that could literally come and help her remove Amelie and take her to a safe place. And um, fortunately, um, she got hold of me and she told me the situation and said, what can I do? I said, the only thing we can do is get on our lorry and come over there and pick her up. And when we arrived, you know, the slaughter men had cornered her and, you know, they did want her back. Um, I'm not going to lie. We had to buy her but we were able to buy her and bring her home to the sanctuary. And there again, I find it a very strange juxtaposition that people will warned to that story. Um, Amelie escaped, and they wanted to have a chance, and they're right behind Amelie, and it was in the you know local press and everything. But they don't think about the millions and millions that don't escape. They can blank to them. And they're my concern. Um, you know, if Amelie hadn't have escaped, she would have ended up being slaughtered. Okay, she... T- Took the initiative through, through fear or whatever, she got out. But all those that don't get out, and they don't seem to transfer that kind of thought process and think, but hang on, this pig is beautiful, she's living in this lovely home, she's running about in vegetation, she's got friends and family around her now. Um, but what about the ones that don't get out? And they can kind of shut off to those. And that's kind of what I was saying about people. They're very good at kind of... Um, I don't know, ignoring the truth or just um, blocking it out. I really don't know. Kim would know more about that than me with people's psych and mentality on it all. I don't understand it. Um, and you can t- tell them about Emily, and they'll go, oh, that's a very beautiful story. Where's Miss sausage roll? You know, kind of thing. And that's that's very strange to me. Well, there's something about the one. I know there's, there's a book, I believe it's called
2: Every 27 Seconds, which is about the slaughter industry and the man who was researching it went undercover and, and worked in a slaughterhouse for some months. And during that time, a cow escaped from another slaughterhouse, but in the same local area, so it was on television. And when the cow escaped, all the slaughter employees were having lunch around a table watching this television. They cheered for the cow. Mm. Even the people who actively kill them, when it's one, they get it. Mm. When it's many, not so. I guess I've been told that that's the reason that when there are appeals for children yeah. in foreign yeah. countries, they'll always put one on the screen,
4: mm. not, not lots. I think there is a mentality with people to think, oh, well, look, the problem's so big, you're not going to make a difference, so I'll leave it. But when they can actually, like you say, you get a handle on the one if you help this child you know, this is where your money will go, even though it obviously won't probably go directly to that individual. They actually get they, they can correlate that they can make a difference, perhaps. Uh, if you were to save to people, a lot of people do see being vegetarian and being vegan as a sacrifice. I don't know why, but they do, um, they would be sacrificing everything they love, their foods, everything, you know, their lifestyle or whatever. I don't really understand. But um, they think, but what difference would me doing that, making that huge sacrifice make? And they, if they can transfer it to one animal, we would save that animal's life. Then perhaps they, that's why they can get a handle on it. I don't know.
2: One or 400 or thousands, we have it in our hands. And we'll be back after this. We're going to be talking more with Fiona Oaks. And we're going to be asking Kim Stallwood, what is an animal rights practice? Stay with us.
1: Chris Michaels, host of Healing Your Life on Unity Online Radio, is an author, life coach, national speaker, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Living in Kansas City, Missouri. Through his writing, coaching, and speaking, Chris has helped thousands of people understand the basic spiritual principles that govern our lives. In his book, Your Soul's Assignment, he reminds us that we each have something to do here on Earth, a unique purpose to our lives. If you're interested in discerning what is yours to do, are looking for practical spiritual principles to inspire your life, or coaching to provide you with the tools to live more fully, visit Chris's website at www.chrismichaels.net. That's www.chrismichaels.net.
0: If I were brave, I'd And and never lose
1: faith. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan, Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: What if we're all meant to do what we secretly
1: Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran.
2: Hey, everybody. This hour is going so quickly. Maybe it's because I'm over here on UK time. I promised you that the first question in this segment would be to ask Kim Stallwood, author of Growl, What is an animal rights practice?
3: Well, a practice is a word that's used to describe um, a group of doctors we might go and visit, a medical practice. It's also used to describe something that we repeatedly do to learn how to do something. And to me, I uh, feel that my work and my life is an animal rights practice. It's something which is intrinsic to me and, and I know to many others who listen to this program. And we should think of it as a practice in the sense that How can we improve our ability to communicate with people? How can we encourage people to feel compassion for animals? So a practice is um, what I do, what I say, and what I think when I act for animals. That's to me what I mean by an rights practice.
2: That's beautiful. My first thought was, it was going to be like meditation when the Buddhists talk about practice, but it's similar.
3: Very similar. It's, it's
2: not just what we talk, it's how we live.
3: It's how we think, feel, and say what we do for animals.
2: Now, a lot of people are very, very devoted. You spoke about the woman who inspired you as a child because she was a dog rescuer. And I know people who who will put themselves on the line for any dog or cat or, in some cases, wildlife that's in trouble, and yet when the animal is taken care of, they go back to their chicken sandwich. So how can we help people who care so much about cats and dogs to extend that love to other animals?
3: Well, the challenge, I think, is in part to do with how we describe and portray ourselves. We've got to, uh, as Animal Rights Vegans, is help people see us as the true animal lover. I know that animal lover has a negative connotation for many of us, um, but really all the vegans and all the animalist people that I meet, most, if not all, have homes full of animals who they've rescued and cared deeply and passionately for and would do anything to help them. So we truly are animal lovers, and I think that there's a lot that we can learn from the gay and lesbian movement who reclaimed the word queer as a, as a word to describe themselves. So I think that we should say, quite frankly, that we are animal rights people, we are vegans, but we're animal lovers. What we care about passionately is the all animals, as someone who cares passionately about the cats and dogs or other animals that, who they share their homes with, they want to, we want to encourage them to extrapolate out that passion that they have for those animals in their lives to all animals everywhere around the world. And that, I think, means that we truly become true animal lovers.
2: Well, that's beautiful. And thank you for bringing up the gay and lesbian movement because I wanted to let everyone know that the blog post this week on MainStreetVegan.net is a um, beautiful, beautiful uh, post by Michael Suchman. And it's called Being a Real Man, Coming Out as Gay, Coming Out as Vegan. And you can find that at mainstreetvegan.net Blog. It really, really is beautiful. Now, I know that a documentary is coming in the States called Game Changer, which is about being a real man and a vegan and showing that a real man, a real woman, a real person is someone who cares and who has has a big heart. So I look forward to that film, which is going to be about vegans in sport. But I just learned from Fiona that she is going to be the subject of a documentary that's filming right now. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I mean,
4: I've actually done filming for Game changers Oh, you yeah, have? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, so but, it's
2: not just Met?
4: No, no, no. Okay. Okay. And uh, I've done, um, uh, well, I'm, at the moment I'm, I'm filming, well, yesterday I was filming for a documentary, basically about people... Um, just general people who do extre- who live extreme lives to what they believe in, and obviously mine is. I mean, I'm not a great orator. I'm more of a kind of doer. I like to illustrate what I do rather than talk about it. So, speaking on the, about compassion for animals, I, I like to kind of show people that I've got all this in, in enormous family of animals who live happily and healthily and wonderfully together. And you know, it's not just dogs and cats. So I do that that's my part through the sanctuary and it's same through illustrating what I do that I'm healthy I'm fit I'm strong I can do anything you know I can run marathons coldest place in the world hottest place in the world highest place fast marathons I can do it all just by illustrating it and showing the world And that's what my bit kind of animal uh, rights or you know compassion is just to show people I don't have a lot of time to go out and talk about things. I don't feel very comfortable talking about what I've done, so I'd rather show people what I've done. Um, and obviously that's what the documentary uh, that I was filming for yesterday is hoping to achieve. Um, funnily enough, it's um, the interviewer. I actually met him in Antarctica when I was down there in um, in November and he was very interested in my work, and that's why I was suggested for this. Um, it's just about people who live extreme lives, um, of not just compassion, but just through a belief, they follow their beliefs, and, and I'm just one part of that. So um, I'm very excited by it, and, um, you know, they were very thrilled to meet the animals, and the guy said, you know, this is just such an awesome place, so I just hope that it'll appeal to, you know, vegans, and non-vegans, anyone out there that is interested and thinks, you know, this is viable, this is a viable way of living your life, um, and I hope that influences people, because it is a problem how to get people to transfer that compassion from a cat and a dog to a not so much a pony, but a sheep or a pig or a chicken or a turkey um, or some of the really, really maligned animals, you know, in the world. It's, it's a real problem.
2: And does the documentary have a name that you know of?
4: Not at the moment. I've got to okay. see the first edit. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Ah, uh, okay. Well, in our, our five minutes remaining, I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but I would love to just ask for final thoughts. What's really on your mind? Kim?
3: What's really on my mind is the challenge that we face of um, lifting the veil of uh, animal cruelty and suffering so that people can see what we now see. And people have that veil of secrecy lifted from them for various ways, and we need to be mindful of doing as much as we can do to help that happen for people. Um, But having said that, I do feel that the actions that we take should be grounded in the four key values that I talk about in growl, which are compassion, uh, truth, uh, nonviolence, and justice. And, And when we step outside the boundaries of those four key values, then I get very distressed that we are being counterproductive in our call for animal rights.
4: Fiona? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that totally. I mean, that's the main thing. I mean, I don't, uh, yesterday when I was doing the documentary, they came, they saw the life I lead, you know, they saw the fact that I get up at 3.30 in the morning, that I'm a vegan, and there was this kind of feeling that um, it was some big sacrifice I was making. Um, and I don't see it as that. I see it as an honour and a privilege. And that's the same thing with the veganism. I'm not going to sit in sort of on, on my ivory tower and say, I went vegetarian at three and I went vegan at six. So I'm better than everyone else because I've never, you know, that sort of thing. I consider that I'm kind of really honoured and privileged to have had that awakening as early as i did and i understand that people that could come to them at 80 or 90 it doesn't matter when it comes to you or how it comes to you it's just a matter that we as vegans who've had the honor to be have this awakened in ourselves for whatever reason can help other people have the same privilege in their lives because i think it is a blessing to your life and i think once people go down that road they open the little door you know and sort of peek in then you can just fling it open and i think they they are being denied a much better quality of life a much more thoughtful life by not having what we we are lucky to have in ours we are indeed so either one of you I, i
2: think about this so often People always talk about whether they're a small child as you were, Fiona, or whether it happened later. They had an aha. Something happened, and they woke up, almost like we mentioned the Buddha, when the Buddha came out of, of his 40 days of <laughs> silence and all, and they said, are you God? And he said, no, I'm awake. So people wake up to being vegan. How can we help bring this about?
3: Well, I by being ex- by being an example, by mm-hmm. being by being someone who other people would like us would like to be themselves, I think that I don't think we should hold ourselves up as as mm-hmm. Fiona rightly says as being special in any way, but really that we are regular, ordinary people who have this sense of compassion for animals and we work hard to live lives without causing animal suffering and cruelty, and that living as example to encourage others to follow and, and even if their their steps toward being vegan are small, not as many as we would like, I think we can live by example.
4: Hear here. Fiona, last word? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, I couldn't reiterate what Kim said, really. I mean, I think it's important whatever, whatever way you're going to get through to people. I mean, some people do, uh, you know, the shock system works. You know, they see something, it triggers them. They think, that's it, I don't want to eat animals anymore. Whether it be seeing somebody running and thinking, you know, I'm kind of interested in how she's getting these results. Whatever it is, I don't think we should, uh, you know, n- I don't think we should sit in judgment of people. I think we should always be there to help and encourage people rather than shout at them or pontificate or say, you know, we're better than you or this is the way it's got to be i think to 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 a vegan viable life for the future they've got to want it for themselves and that's our responsibility to make their eyes open and to want it for themselves that's the most important thing for me you can't force people
2: Well, thank you both so much. I believe that if I weren't vegan already, having spent this 55 minutes with you would take me over the edge. So everybody listening, I hope you loved this time as much as I have. I'm so inspired. Please be back with us next week when our guests are going to be Miyoko Shinner of artisan vegan cheese, and Dr. Robert Ostfeld, cardiologist who runs the cardiac wellness program at Montefiore Medical Center in Bronx, New York. That's a way that people can go vegan, get healthy, and reverse their heart disease. Pretty exciting stuff on all fronts. Thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you, and eat your veggies.
0: the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you.
1: This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Kupferle's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity.
0: Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. At the base of all life is the infinite wellspring of Source, and each of us has a unique way of expressing that Source as an individualized soul. Do you enjoy the company of inspiring people who are living on purpose? Do you want to live joyfully attuned to your own unique soul expression? Host Reverend Kristen Powell welcomes you to join the gathering of souls who live this way. You'll meet artists, naturalists, and other soulful expressions that will inspire you to call forth the most alive, passionate version of yourself. Get into the natural stream of your own soul by tuning into Soulstream live every Wednesday at noon Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of A Guided Life Podcast. And I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.